You are listening to Sing Amen, Ministering Through Music. I am Jennifer Kerr-Budziak, and welcome to our podcast. Hi, and welcome back. If this is your first time listening, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play. And whether you are a new or a more regular listener, we would be most grateful if you drop us a review on one of those platforms. And also, please check out our website at singamen.giamusic.com for more great content. So, if you were ever to ask professional church musicians the thing they enjoy least about their job, it would probably be a toss-up between wedding planning and having to leave Christmas Eve dinner to go to work right when the rest of the family is sinking into its post-feast stupor. For me, it was always the Christmas thing because I honestly have always enjoyed wedding ministry. So has my good friend of many years, Mary Preet, who was one of the pioneers of the wedding fair at Old St. Patrick's Church in Chicago, Illinois, a church known for many years for its strong young adult presence and character, as well as for its hospitable and warm wedding ministry. Mary was a big part of the development of this aspect of Old St. Pat's personality, and her fingerprints are still on a lot of things there today. And though she's moved on to other places, she laid the foundations for more than a quarter century of successful wedding ministry and wedding music ministry there. She and I sat down and had a long conversation about our experiences with weddings and music and brides and grooms and everything. And she shares some of her thoughts, not just about the wedding fair itself and how to put one on, but also about a a vision of wedding ministry that goes far beyond just preparing for the liturgy itself. You should know, though, that when Mary and I get together to talk about things we're both passionate about, we can sometimes wander pretty far afield of our original topics. But I think we were able to keep it pretty much together. So fair warning. So here we go. We're here at GIA with Mary Preet. Hi, Mary. Hi, Jennifer. Uh, Mary is one of our authors who has an article as part of the new book, Gathering Gifts, Building the Program. This is a book that gathers together many articles from the last 25 years of GIA Quarterly magazines. I had a wonderful time going through years and years and years, decades of these magazines and just finding these wonderful articles written over the years that might have kind of gotten lost or forgotten about and wanted to bring them back. One of those articles was Mary Preet's article about the wedding fair. And I think it was back in like 19. 92? Yes, it was when I was still at Old St. Pat's Church in downtown Chicago, where we did about 200 weddings a year. And they were sometimes from the parish and sometimes they were from all, literally all over the world. The wedding fair came about because of my desire to make sure that these young people had enough of an understanding of the right of marriage that they would make great choices for themselves and for their families. I always get a little discouraged when my fellow music directors complain about weddings and terrible brides and horrible grooms and let's not even get into the mothers. And my point, the very first thing is, well, how many years did they go to school for liturgy or pastoral music? I think we as church musicians have to understand that anyone who comes to us, whether it's a wedding or a funeral or even a baptism, it may be the first step on their journey to faith or reconnection to faith. And we have to take that gift Their presence in our communities are gifts to our community to hopefully re-engage them or engage them and to help them start to build a foundation of their adult faith. Well, it's because of you that I love doing weddings. Oh, I'm so glad. Seriously, because... I'm so glad. So 
The fair was a, a sneaky way for me literally to walk through the entire rite of marriage under the guise of showing them musical choices. And so we would really unpack what all of those liturgical moments were about from the beginning of the procession and, and letting the brides and grooms sit with a little bit of knowledge, digest it, and never ask them to make any decision because we're starting to break molds of what their expectation is. Now that's 20 some years ago. It is a much more difficult situation now for church musicians because you have maybe a hundred different bride shows. And so culture has taken over and said, this is what a wedding should be. This is what a wedding looks like. And so you really, the challenge is much greater for us now. And I think it's, it's an exciting time because when you give young adults and even their parents, they could bring their whole wedding party. I didn't care how many people were there because as you begin to chisel away at odd notions, it's really nice when they can get together. It's, it's freeing for them to be able to discuss it within a safe family environment and never ask for any decision-making because they need to reimagine what this moment is. Just so people know, I was also music director at Old St. Pat's, the same church, many years later, and Old St. Pat's still does the wedding fairs. Do they really? Yep. Wow. We, they, and they're, you know, regularly scheduled on the first Monday of the month, three or four times a year. And so the timing never even particularly changes. They're up on the website. Anybody is invited. You know, and we're still doing that. And St. Pat's still has, I don't know if it's quite 200 a year anymore, but it's a lot of weddings every year. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's still a place where hospitality and welcome is, you know, just this primary core value that everybody who comes in is invited to just be welcome and know they belong there. And that's one of the reasons I think that old St. Pat's still, I mean, one of the other things I hear all of my music director friends talk about, it's like, oh, they come and they get married and then we never see them again. And old St. Pat's, we still see them again. I, I mean, I look back to when you were there and when this whole thing started, and I got to think that had a lot to do with it. And I think St. Pat's tries to engage a young adult couple. Do you invite them back on, you know, a Sunday before Valentine's Day to celebrate their first anniversary? You know, what else is a parish doing to re-engage with the couple? But the wedding fair, I think, is actually more crucial now than it was then. Because back then, it took a lot of gumption for a young woman or man to say, I'm not going to be married in the church. Mm. That has changed. And so I believe that we as Catholic church musicians and core staff, this is not just for music directors, what does the core team at your parish, what, what is their goal when they encounter a young adult who's thinking about being married? I had the most amazing conversation with the pastor. We've, we are on the same page about not only is this a sacramental moment, it's a moment of evangelization. And how can we make them feel welcomed, make them understand there is a place for them, and by the grace of God, that they stay connected with us. So when we talk about a wedding fair, maybe you want to get together with other musicians in your local area, as long as you all are on the same page about what you want to accomplish. You want to make sure that the pastors and the wedding coordinators attend. You want to make sure you advertise this not only on your Facebook pages, you want to make sure that the local newspaper writes an article, not because young adults are going to read it, 
but their grandparents are. So you want to do a multi-tiered social media push so that you're reaching out to grandparents, you're reaching out to parents, and you're reaching out to the young adults themselves. Another little trick that's very, very interesting, I knew a pastor who at every single wedding, part of the contract with the parish is that the photographer would give them a beautiful shot of the bridal couple in his church. And then in the next four to six weeks, father would call that family and say, you're on the front page of the bulletin this week. (laughs) And so those couples and their parents and their grandparents all come to church that Sunday to get those pictures. There are such simple ways to re-engage young men and women. And I actually, I thought that was genius. And he does it with baptisms and weddings genius. That is really smart. I love that. So genius. But anyway, so you have to cast a very wide net because we have to recognize that the church used to be the primary starting point for a young couple. And now the church is just one of many choices. And those readings tell us that the apostles didn't stay in Jerusalem, speaking their own language, waiting for people to come to them to spread the good news. They went out to the whole world. And with the gift of the Spirit, we're able to speak in many tongues. That's the first part of a wedding fair. You're going to speak in social media language. You're going to speak. You have to compete with all of the things that our culture show us. And that's a challenge, but it should be exciting. So get together with your team. Bring all your core people. Talk about what you want to accomplish. So you have to set your goals, right? What do you want the sacrament of marriage How do you want that to be celebrated in your parish? Well, I want participation at weddings. That was my goal. Yes. And when I left Old St. Pat's, 80% of the couples started the liturgy with an opening song. We also, we thought we were getting a new rite of marriage. And so we always had a sung acclamation after the vows. I also was very strong on the point that the rite of marriage is the only sacrament that is exchanged. It is not conferred or given. And so another high point for me was I wanted to make sure that the young couples knew how easy it was to memorize those three simple sentences and exchange their vows without any priest saying any words. And that we also accomplished. And that was very powerful. And then you strategize. So now you know what my strategies were. I wanted participation and I wanted these young people. And when I say young people, most of our brides were in their early 30s, late 20s. I wanted them to understand what they had undertaken. I really wanted them to tap in. So one of the things I would say to them is for the month before your marriage, the last thing you say to each other is you're going to practice your vows. And I would say it very simply. I marry, take you, Peter, to be my husband. I promise to be true to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. I will love and honor you all the days of my life. And because I said it so plainly and broke it down into simple sentences, it didn't become such a thing for them. And so we would give them a little piece of paper. So, so anyway, what we would do is we would have the best musicians. If you want this to be successful, you must model excellence. It's the most important thing we as church musicians have to do. If we're really ministers of the faith and we really want to welcome people in, we really need excellence in our musical performances. So maybe not every cantor gets invited to the wedding fair. 
when you're asking for instrumentalists, you want the best instrumentalist you can find in your neighborhood. So we would make sure we had instrumentalists there, we had singers, we had all the wedding coordinators so they could meet their wedding coordinators. And in the beginning, because it was so new, we had bakers who then gave us coffee and dessert at the end of the wedding fair. We had florists that we liked who did the flowers appropriately. And most importantly, we had videographers that followed our, our regulations for proper filming. So because it was something new, we felt we needed to go that extra mile. I don't think they do that anymore because it's not necessary. They can focus just on the, the, the ritual. Yes, at this point, um, the vendors coming and the different, you know, different people who provide wedding services, really just up until the last few years, we were trying to do that. Um, but it, it became more and more difficult to schedule things. And um, it was very, it made a lot of work for the wedding volunteers. Right. You know, and the coordinators who also had to be there and, you know, and always booking the space because St. Pat's, largely because of the successful ministry of many years, there's so much going on. Even, you know, being able to coordinate all of the space and stuff had been a challenge. But, and again, as you say, it's much easier to find people who, you know, videographers and photographers and and maybe it's as simple as someone who does wedding programs. You just, for that first couple of times, you have to plan for success. You can't just put a notice in the bulletin and say, we're going to have a wedding fair and then be, oh my gosh, only three people showed up. You have to razzle dazzle the first time. And that's why I'm concerned about local newspapers or uh, city websites you want this to be something spectacular for your first time because the other thing about uh, the wedding network is once you have a successful wedding fair, brides just talk to each other and when they know that they're going to get a quality experience from you, they're going to come back and it will be easier to maintain and to keep it going. So think of something really extra special for your first wedding fair. And so then really my best suggestion is to walk through the rite, explaining every element. Again, right from the very beginning of the procession, always being sensitive to family issues. You can find language uh, when trying to break down, especially when there's more than one father involved. I would always, I think stories, humorous, to get your point, you have to have a point of view. And so I would very humorously tell a story about my mother stamping her little four foot, nine foot, saying, there is no way you are going down that aisle without me. And then bringing up the idea that a mother and father can walk down with each child, both the, the groom and the bride. So think about what it is you want to accomplish. What sign does your parish want to say this wedding begins with? Okay, just to break in for a moment, uh, maybe this is different in other parts of the country and the world, but in my years of ministry, I've encountered very few communities or locales where this kind of opening to a wedding, let alone with congregational singing involved, is the norm. And many people have no idea that this is the image the church gives us to open a wedding. The rite as it stands invites the couple to process in together with the priest and other ministers. These two people in a liturgical gathering processing into the church as ministers of the sacrament, witnessed and participated in by the presider and the gathered community. And it bears mentioning that this element of the wedding liturgy, and, and this was part of the previous rite too, not just the new one, was the invitation to a congregational opening song. 
either during the processional itself or, as Sing to the Lord suggests, immediately after an instrumental processional, a song that would serve the same purpose as the opening song at Sunday Liturgy, which is, according to the general instruction on the Roman Missal, to open the celebration, to foster the unity of those who have been gathered, to introduce their thoughts to the mystery of the liturgical time or festivity, and to accompany the procession of the priest and ministers." including, of course, the bride and groom, who are the ones here who will bestow the sacrament on each other. Now, Mary and I both think the fact that so many choose not to use this option is a real loss, because this moment in the wedding liturgy, right at the beginning here, it's a real opportunity to engage the wedding party and the guests as active, unified participants together, rather than dividing the room into performers and audience, which is the dynamic in operation at way too many weddings I've been present for. But as we talked, Mary shared some thoughts and strategies for how to make this opening song a really meaningful and beautiful part of the wedding liturgy. Find some, there's wonderful text out there. I love an Iona text, the bridegroom and bride that goes to uh, God in the planning and purpose. God in the planning and purpose of life. Hallowed the union of husband and wife. It's a wonderful text. And it's to the perfect tune. Everyone knows it. So give them very simple, um, even a joyful, joyful, the, the Beethoven. Again, you have to pick for your opening songs things that are in their ear from the culture because they go, oh, there's something that resonates. It's something they know about. And so it doesn't seem as unfamiliar. The other thing you want to do when you're, if you're talking about an opening hymn, that the sound of their loved ones washing over them as they stand up there, is like an embrace for the bride and groom. And so before the wedding would start in the prelude music, mostly people were seated there. So we had something very short that the cantors would say that they've been invited to this wedding and their presence is so important. And the first sign of support you can give to this couple is by singing the music they have chosen for you to sing. You have to give the assembly permission also to start to do something different. I'm sorry to talk about this as it's, it is a very multi-layered cake that we are baking. So you have your preparation with the couple, but before that you have your preparation with the staff, but you also have to then prepare the assembly for something different. So remember, we're working on many different levels as we talk about a wedding fair. So then you're gonna move right into the Liturgy of the Word. You're going to example, obviously, Psalm 128. But choose other psalms that are appropriate that come from your parish's repertoire. But choose the music that, again, amplifies what it is about your parish. What is the common language, the common liturgical language of your parish? I want them to think about the future of their life. What is their hope for how their marriage, how this relationship will move forward in the world? We push them to things that are outside of the the normal realm of wedding because all of the resources are out there for them to see all that regular material. So your opportunity at a wedding fair is to talk about something a little different. And we also talk about, or I did, I love bringing up the um, wherever you go, I shall go. I love to tell the brides and grooms, well, you know, that is a daughter-in-law to her (laughs) mother-in-law. And I want them to understand there's a whole different level of context. And so I have to say I'm incredibly partial to uh, Rory Cooney's Covenant Hymn. because such a beautiful song. It is a gorgeous song. 
but I make them do it as an assembly song. So we might have the pastor sing the first verse, the cantor sings the second verse. By that time, the community's heard it two times. Now the assembly makes that promise, and we have the bride and groom standing, looking at the assembly. As these promises are made across families, across generations, with faith-filled people, from pastors to brides to grooms, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to do one connection to another connection to another connection. It's an incredibly powerful experience for brides and grooms, and it is emotional. But that's what we as Catholic Christians believe. We believe we are there for them. And just to jump in on this, I mean, you do not invite people to the wedding fair saying we are going to do this multi-layered mystagogical experience about reflecting. We say, come and we will help you choose beautiful music for your wedding. That's why, that's how you bring them, right? It's a bait and switch. It's a bait and switch. <laughs> it kind of is. But you know what? We, most young adults are... the best are, way. But they're intelligent people. And when you start to give them real information, not just tapping your foot at the piano going, okay, here are three psalms. Which one do you like? When you start to give them something to think about, in the, the seven years I was at Old St. Pat's, and as again, I said we had people from all over the world, I only had one horrible wedding experience. Those brides and grooms, when given great information and time, they made great choices. And did I do one or two silly things? Absolutely. Because my longer goal was to be in communion with these couples. And I think we, we are actually in a conversion process when we're doing weddings. We're converting our own hearts to be open, to be of service. I would never let them do silly things, but heartfelt things at appropriate places. We have prelude music, folks. We can do, we have some freedom before the liturgy begins. Have your hearts open to really ministering to these young folks. There really is so much more room for flexibility, I think, than as liturgists than we sometimes give ourselves and each other credit for. When I've talked with, I've spoken, you know, workshops and stuff about funerals or weddings, I kind of call it, you know, to try to find the yes. If they come with something, you know, it's like, well, can we have, I love this, now it's the prayer, you know, the Celine Dion, Andrea Bocelli. We love that and we want that for our communion song. I know plenty of church musicians who might say, you can't have that. That's not appropriate for communion. Period. Full stop. End of sentence. 
that's very much a no. And it's a, and it closes a door as soon as you say it. But, but if you say, oh, oh, that is such a lovely song, isn't it? Um, I'm wondering though, and this is if they haven't been to the wedding fair, because if they have been to the wedding fair, they have probably heard. And then we have our moment, our time of communion. And the song that we choose for the rite of communion, it's not about the two of you anymore. Now at the communion time, when we all share at the table together, this is a moment that is about all of us as the body of Christ together. And if we've laid that groundwork well, the likelihood that they will come and say, we want the song, the prayer for communion is already diminished. But if they come with that, say, I'm not sure if that quite fits the moment at communion and what we're looking for here. But what about help find another place in the ceremony where, or in the prelude? That's a glorious prelude piece. There's a lot of things that can be made while moms are coming in. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, yeah, we do that for moms a lot. The other really most important thing I want to talk about is, again, your responsibility to making sure these young couples think about the appropriate choices for them. So if you have a marriage where someone is Catholic and someone is Hindu, give them permission to choose a service and not a Eucharist. And don't... Oh, amen. You want to point out that this wedding ceremony should be about what brings each other together and not to highlight what pulls them apart. And you can talk and say about there'll be enough in your life that pulls and tugs you apart. Don't let this very first step highlight those differences. Find something that you can be completely together with. And I think that's probably one of the greatest gifts you can give a couple, giving them permission to choose the appropriate rite of marriage form. What I've been finding in recent years, because as you said, there's all the bride shows and all of the assumptions to make the appropriate choices for them that maybe are not, you know, walking down the aisle, you know, who gives this woman to this man? Well, I will just say I walked down the aisle with both of my parents and I gave myself away. Thank you very much. (laughs) And he gave himself away and we are together. And that's, you know, but I had had so much exposure to being able to have permission, largely through knowing people like you who helped me think about this stuff. So if you have your own stories about that, anytime you're trying to push them to think outside the box, make sure you're using storytelling as uh, as a vehicle because they need to hear that permission in what you're telling them. And you know, you don't have to model music that you know brides and grooms want. They can hear all of that out into the universe. You model music that you know will have a prayerful effect on them. And you you don't have to give them a million choices, but you have to give them enough stylistic choices. Because if you're not giving them a choice, a musical choice within what their ears can understand, well, then you're not really giving them a choice. These are baby Christians most of the time. Occasionally, we all have that great couple like Jennifer and Alan, and you're like, oh, this is amazing. But more times than not, we have baby Christians. We were not the perfect couple. I mean, we are now. He's perfect. Sorry. I didn't mean to. (laughs) And Peter is still (laughs) long-suffering. To get the two of them together. There you go. But I know that we as church musicians are really overworked. And as some of our communities contract and we have to take on more responsibilities, I know what we're talking about today seems overwhelming. But the benefits to you, your own personal growth... And possibly to your community. I had many a bride and groom join uh, a choir, become uh, 
we had lectors. We had a big, strong hospitality. Uh, they would come back and they would be hospitality for the wedding fairs. There are so many ways to keep this relationship going because that's what this is what it's about. We're trying to start a relationship with this young couple. And yes, some move away. Some don't worship in our own place. But that never stops you from making the offer, trying to make the connection. Make sure they have forms and that they understand that they have information that they can go home with and to talk about. Uh, we talk about the prayers of the faith. We talk about everything because everything matters. And I'm never sure which peace will pierce their heart or when the grace of God will flow over their heads. I always pray that the Holy Spirit is present. You're really a minister here. You're just not someone playing the piano or the organ or someone choosing hymns. You're going to find yourself in some difficult situations. And don't be afraid. We've all had one or two couples in our lives that we knew something was terribly wrong. Sometimes you could, you could physically see the violence kind of built up. Don't be afraid to put a, a letter in someone's folder. That's a real gift you can do. I mean, I've had to do that. And I, this young woman came back to me and was so grateful. I said, oh I said there was no way I, there was no way I could speak to you at that moment. But I knew you were in trouble. You have a, a great responsibility, and and it, it it encompasses so much more than just music. And you'll find that it shapes you more than probably any brides and grooms. I, I will tell you this. Before we started doing the wedding fair, I just freelanced out all the weddings to a dear friend. And this was really a conversion journey for me. And I understood that this was an opportunity that God was presenting to my community to engage with a man and a woman who are making a very serious commitment in their life. And it was my responsibility as a Catholic Christian to help them celebrate that moment to its fullest, deepest sense.
For more information, including details about the music you heard on today's podcast, please visit our website at singamen.giamusic.com. Sing Amen is produced and supported by GIA Publications.